0: Hey, it's Adam. Welcome to our weekly teaching podcast here at South Hills Church in Corona, California. Our hope is that as you listen in, you'll find yourself laughing and learning and being challenged and encouraged to grab hold of who God has made you to be. Enjoy the message. Today, if you're taking notes, the title of my message today is Little Princess, Little Princess princess. You ever been to a, a, like a little kid's birthday party before that was so elaborate that it made a lot of the weddings you've been to look pathetic? Anybody, you've been to something like this before? Um, I, there have been times where I have walked into a birthday party and I'm just like, whoa. whoa. Should I have dressed better? Um, Man, this is, I feel like I should not be in this environment. What is going on? Are Kanye's kids here? Like, I'm confused about where I am, why I'm supposed to be there. And it's just so elaborate, right? There's pony rides. You know what I mean? There's like three different buffet tables with like a chef making things from scratch for you. There's like a five tiered chocolate fountain. Um, there's all like amazing desserts and different things that you have. There's, there's a clown and a magician and a live band. And it's just overwhelming with how much they are. And all this for a two and a half year old birthday. It's not even a full birthday. It's a halfsies celebration. She's two and a half, our little princess. And you were just wowed. And just when you thought it couldn't get any more elaborate or extravagant, As you get ready to go home, they give everybody, send everybody home with a live chinchilla. And you're just like, this is too much. This is so much. And if you've ever been to something like this before, it is hard not to be like just bowled over by it, just wowed by it. And if you've ever taken your kids to something like this before, uh, that makes you annoyed with those parents because now your kids have different expectations of maybe what their birthday should be. And now you're just like, oh, I don't know about that. And because they're so excited of brainstorming their birthday, after, I was thinking we could get like some celebrities and we, we could get uh, some race cars there and maybe we could just fly in a cake from Paris and, and you're just feeling overwhelmed, but they're so excited. You're like, I want to be able to deliver because I love my kids. I want to give them so much, but you're just like, I'm not sure I can. And if you're like me and you're sort of a realist, uh, you find yourself at these parties being impressed, but also looking around and just thinking like, how do they afford this? (laughs) I mean, like, this is a lot. And I I mean, I don't even know, I definitely couldn't afford this. And so if they can, that's great. Uh, But then it brings up this other question of like, is this even good for these kids that are here, for their kids, for my kids? Like, what is this doing to this generation of kids? How is it impacting the way they think about life and relationships and money and what it's for? There's a lot of questions that begin to sort of rise to the surface if you're a bit existentially neurotic like I am, okay? And all these things start bouncing around your head. But most of us, we're able just to push it aside and push it down. And I think a lot of this is because it feels like, you know, a certain standard has been set and we have no choice but just to rise to it, even if you can't afford it. And a lot of us, I think, feel overwhelmed because of this, trying to keep up with the people around us because you know, your kids can't be the only ones who get left out. I mean, you're not a monster. And this extends way beyond birthday parties, right? Like your kid can't be the only one without that video game console, right? They can't be the only one without a purebred puppy, without this brand of clothes, without those specific shoes, without the chance to play travel ball, even though they suck, Right with, with, the, with the opportunity to go to Cancun on spring break. You know, and, and as we're trying to give all this to our kids, the bills keep stacking up. And for some of us, we can afford to do it. And the question becomes, is it worth doing? And for some of us, we can't afford to do it. And so we're driving ourselves into debt to make our kids happy. And the reason that the pressure is real for us is because the pressure is real for our kids Kids, like you can see in their eyes that they feel this weight of trying to fit in and keep up with the people around them, which is really hard to watch. Like if you're a parent, is there anything worse than watching your kid get bullied, picked on, left out? And it's even worse if we come to believe that the reason that's happening is because we can't afford to buy them something. Or maybe we've refused to buy them something. And the guilt that we experience from that can begin to just sort of pile up. I think a lot of us, we find ourselves in this place where we are just trying to protect our kids from how hard life is by giving them as much as we possibly can because we think that that is our job as parents. Watching them go without um, typically triggers in us memories of when we had to go without, and what we hated going without when we were kids, and sort of the social discomfort that that caused us, which is why I think many of us are trying to give our kids the childhood we wanted, not necessarily the one they need. We're trying to live vicariously through them. We're trying to give them everything we wish we would've had, because maybe that will save them from feeling some of the things that we felt. And the lie that we tend to believe is that if our kids have more than we did, they'll have it better than we did. But more isn't always better. And you already know that because this isn't just true for our kids, right? This is true of us. And we feel the pressure, right? We feel the pressure to do better or provide a better life than our parents did or at least keep up with our peers, the people around us. Everyday luxury is now the new normal, right? Like there are all these things that we pile onto our lives because we need them or we feel like we do. Um, And our kids pick that up from us. William Damon, who's a Stanford expert on adolescence, wrote this in a recent synopsis of kids. He says that many children now have privileges that were once reserved for royalty. You think about that, that's true. And they're not uh, all the things that you would suspect. Uh, One of the ones he lists are baths, right? Like our kids have advanced to a way where like our expectations have changed and now everyone feels like they deserve to be treated like a little princess and we feel like they should too but what does that actually produce? And now we have enough data to tell us that it doesn't produce what we want it to which is kids that feel secure and confident, oftentimes it kind of spins off into a different direction. It has unintended consequences. It turns us into materialistic people whose psychologists would tell us have a few things in common. Materialistic people tend to focus more on stuff than they do on people. right? They'd rather get this thing than build this relationship over here. Uh, Materialistic people believe that more stuff will make them happy. I cannot be happy until I get this, until I have this, until I can wear this, until I can go there. Materialistic people care more about impressing people with their stuff than the utility of their stuff. In other words, like I have a thing and it works and it's functioning and it does its job well, but other people won't think it's cool. Other people won't admire me because I have it. And that is more important to me than the utility. And materialistic people want more of everything they like, like whatever the thing is that they're obsessed with, that they love to have, and they will often compromise their character to get it. Like, I know I shouldn't have done that, but I had to in order to get this. And when we look at these sorts of things, like none of us want to be described this way. That's why it's awkwardly quiet in here right now. None of us want anybody to describe us as like these materialistic sorts of people. And we don't want our kids to be described this way either. And I think this is part of what the Apostle Paul is talking about in that verse that we, that we shared on last week where he says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, that some people craving money have wandered from the, the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. They have become materialistic in a way where their priorities have shifted and they've become someone who cares about things that are not important as if they are the most important. And the question that I always wonder is how does somebody end up there? Because if we don't wanna get that outcome, what actually leads to it? What is that thing itself? Like and I, I think it, it sort of brings up all kinds of questions of like, well, but like as a parent, like, aren't I supposed to give my kids nice things? Aren't I supposed to give them uh, a great life? And I think that we really are. God does not expect you to be a joyless monk, and for your kids to operate, you know, like they are slaves in your household. Okay, this is not what God is like wanting for us. In fact, um, Paul writes this in First Timothy chapter six, verse seventeen. He says, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust their money, which is so unreliable. It's like he knows about our economy. It's weird. Their trust should be in God who gives richly all we need for our enjoyment. In other words, first of all, let's just back up because this verse starts with like, this this only applies to people who are rich. But just to do a callback to last week, according to the Apostle Paul, anybody who has enough clothes that they're not naked today and enough food where they're not starving today, in his mind, anybody who has more than that is rich. Therefore, in his mind, we are all rich, all of us in here. And so this verse is really for all of us. But he's saying like, you shouldn't feel guilty about that. That means that God has blessed your life. And that's a great thing. God wants you to enjoy everything he gave you. What he doesn't want you to do is to trust in it and to rely on it for your self-worth. To believe that like, I'm okay because I have. Like that's the thing that God wants us to avoid because it's hollow and it doesn't really work. This is how materialism takes hold. In fact, researchers tell us that spoiled children have certain things in common, four very specific things. So if you have kids or are thinking about having kids, you wanna know what these things are. Sociology experts tell us that, that, that children who are spoiled have these four things in common. The first thing is this, they have parents who make their decisions, solve their problems, and absorb their consequences. In other words, their parents are never allowing them to sort of pick what they want to do and to sort of step out and express themselves in the way that they need to. And when they do something wrong, their parents absorb the consequences and deal with the situation for them so that they never have to. The second thing is that they have few rules that govern their behavior or schedules. They have a lot of free time and they kind of just do whatever they want to. Uh, The third thing is that they have few chores or responsibilities around the house. Everything is pretty much done for them so that there's nothing they really have to do to contribute to the community that they live in. And the fourth thing is that they have a lot of material possessions and continue to get more. Now, all this research points to the fact that all spoiled kids don't necessarily have all four of these things at the exact same time, but the presence of any of these four of things make it more likely that your kid or a kid or even you are gonna end up spoiled and materialistic in the long run. And what is fascinating about this, as I stare at this list and as you're staring at it, maybe you'll notice, I think the big takeaway for me is this, which is shocking. It, it really doesn't take a lot of money to spoil a kid. And a lot of us think like spoiled kids are really just those who have so much more than we have. But in reality, the first three things on this list don't cost any money at all. The number one things that actually lead to kids being entitled and materialistic that may have even led some of us to be entitled and materialistic are things that have nothing to do with how much you have. They're other things altogether. And that is interesting. It's also scary. And for those of you in here that don't have kids, um, the message is not like don't have kids. They're doomed. That's not what I'm saying, right? <laughs> the message is this, that, that you and I become spoiled in the exact same way, right? When we allow other people to make our decisions, when we don't own Um, the things that we've done wrong, right? When we uh, don't really live by any sort of rules or standards and uh, we don't put limits on ourselves. when when we aren't contributing, when we don't know how to take care of ourselves and the people around us, when we have all this stuff and we just keep stacking up more, this is how we become the spoiled people that we don't wanna be. I would sort of summarize it this way. We, We become materialistic ultimately when we'd rather buy something better than build deeper connections and character. And here's the thing, when we experience pain in our lives, when something doesn't go the way we want it to, when a situation is going sideways and we're frustrated, most of us, instead of recognizing it as a sign that we need to build stronger relationships with God and other people, that there's maybe an element of our character that we need to work on, we're like, you know what would feel way better? Buying a new outfit, shopping for cars online, right? Right? We're trying to sort of how can I buy something better instead of actually working on my connections and character. And in the fact that, that a lot of the New Testament authors who really form a lot of our faith talk a ton about this shows us that this really isn't just an American problem. This is a human problem. But fortunately, they don't just tell us what the issue is and how it happens. They actually give us some insight and instruction about how to fight against being spoiled. Uh, this is the Apostle Paul again in a letter to the Thessalonians, which he cleverly titled Thessalonians. First Thessalonians 4.1. He says this, We urge you in the name of the Lord Jesus to live in a way that pleases God, which makes sense. And then Paul gives a bunch of examples specifically about what that means. He thinks that means to those people then in that context. He's like, you should do this. You should not do this. You should prioritize this thing. And then he summarizes the whole point that he's trying to make in this entire chapter with really one principle. And this is in verses 11 and 12. This is what he says. Make it your goal to live a quiet life, minding your own business, And working with your hands. And then people who are not believers will respect the way you live. And I want to unpack this line by line because it's uncomfortable and I just think that it's more fun to go into the uncomfortable stuff and just watch all of you stiffen. Um, (laughs) Because that's what I did when I read it uh, in study for this. Live a quiet life. Like what does this mean? In other words, Focus on what God is asking you to do and stop being so concerned with what other people think about it. What what he's really trying to tell them is, you don't need everyone else's opinion about what you are doing. You don't need to survey every person that exists, which is what we do on social media, for their approval about what we, and also he's saying, you don't need to give your opinion about what everyone else is doing. Which for a lot of us, were like, but that's my favorite thing. I love that, that's my hobby, and I, I thought my true calling. No, Paul is like, no. Which actually brings us to the second thing he says. Mind your own business. Which is the opposite of what I wanna do. I wanna know everybody's business, right? I wanna know what are you doing, what are you wearing, who's that person in the picture, is it really your brother? Or is it a piece on the side? I wanna know! I wanna see where you went on vacation. I wanna see what you just bought. I wanna see it. I wanna temporarily admire it. Then I wanna envy it. Then I wanna judge it. Then I wanna hate you for it. Then I wanna hate myself, because I can't get it. That's what I like to do. Does <laughs> anybody else you do the same exact cycle? It's such an emotional roller coaster. And then once you're done with that, you swipe to the next one, and you're like, ah, oh, here we go again, ah! <laughs> oh. just on the inside. And Paul is saying, like, don't do that to yourself. Who cares what they have and what they did? What has God gifted you with? True fulfillment is found in focusing in on and truly enjoying that. So do that. Then he says this, work with your hands. In other words, he's like, don't expect everything to be given to you. Expect that you are gonna have to go out and work for what you want and need. And in fact, don't just do work that is easy for you, do work that is a little bit stretching, that's a little bit challenging. You're made to challenge yourself with some sort of work that is contributing to the betterment of society and humanity. This is what you are made to do. But don't just work so that you can, you know, cover all of your base needs you need to actually invest yourself your time, effort and energy into caring for and bettering the lives of people in your community. And then he sort of summarizes all this by saying like listen, if you do all of that, then people who are not believers will respect you. Which is important to Paul. And Paul's assumption is that we are all building relationships with all different sorts of people, that we see the image of God in every human that exists and that we're building relationships with people who are Christians, with people who aren't Christians, with people who don't even believe in God, that we're building relationships with people because people matter. God loves people and we lean into their lives. And when you do build relationships with them, like what is it they're gonna notice about you? What will stand out about you to people who don't believe what you believe. And what I think is really fascinating about this is that Paul is convinced that others will respect us for our faith, not because we seem so spiritual, but because we are financially responsible. Think about that for a minute. That people who don't share your belief system are won over to your faith, not because they're like, man, that person is so spiritual. Oh, man, they have so much of the Bible memorized. Oh, man, they, they raise their hands in every worship song, not just the high crescendo ones. They're so spiritual. They don't care about that. They're not gonna be interested in that. What they care about is like, how is this person managing their life in such a way that they can take care of themselves, that they're interested in being generous and investing in the lives of other people, and that they seem to be content with what they have no matter how much they have. That's the sort of thing that wins people over because they're like, how are you doing that? Because we all struggle with it. You must be tapped into something that enables you to not get hung up on materialism, realizing that your life is about something bigger than you. And so if I was to take sort of everything that Paul is saying here and distill it down into four really succinct pieces of parenting advice, this is what it would be. Okay, To unspoil our kids, or for those of you that don't have kids, to unspoil yourself. Instead of making their decisions, solving their problems, and absorbing their consequences for them, show them how to be steady, humble, reliable people. How do we do that? Some really basic practical things. One would be this. When when they commit to doing something, require that they do it no matter how they feel in the moment no matter how uncomfortable or inconvenient it becomes. And man, kids do this thing and a lot of grownups do this thing too because they were never really shown as kids how not to do it of like, we commit to things because it sounds great to be a part of it until we get into it and we realize how hard it is and then we don't wanna do it anymore. And my kids would tell you that there have been many times where they're like, I don't wanna go to practice and I'm like, you're gonna go sick and sit on the sideline because we are there for our team. We don't bail on people. We don't bail on commitments. We don't bail on teams. Like these are the kinds of people that we are. If you say you're going to do something, even if you get out in the middle of it and you don't like it, you're going to finish the season. You're going to finish the commitment. Because we are people who are humble, reliable, steady sort of people. Another practical thing is like to teach your kids humility. uh, Teach them that they don't need to post about everything that they do in order for it to count. That they don't need to take a picture and share with everybody else what happened to validate an experience. That they don't need to brag about every single thing that they are good at. You can just do something for the sake of doing it. This is why it's so great to do things with your family where phones aren't present and just enjoy the moment and there's no way to capture it. Because you're just there in the middle of it. And I would also say that we teach our, we show our kids how to do this by Um, setting this expectation that when they mess up, they need to own it and make it right with the person they messed up with. And each of my kids could tell you that there are moments, not just within our family, but when they did something out in the community and we make our kids walk up to the person and admit what they did and ask for forgiveness and ask what they can do to make it right. I think our temptation is we don't want our kids to experience the heaviness of that, but it doesn't teach them to take ownership without it. When we absorb the consequences for our kids and don't make them own the things that they have gotten wrong with, the people they've gotten them wrong with, it teaches them that all their problems are other people's fault and that someone else will bail them out. That is a spoiled trait that we don't want to emulate. Now, one of the things you'll notice before I get to the second one is that all of these start with show them, and the reason is because what you when it comes to your kids, like what you do in front of them is more powerful than what you say to them. And so you can tell them that they should do these things, but in reality, if your kids don't see you keeping your commitments and you seem like you're constantly ch- chasing likes online and you never take responsibility when you do something wrong, why would they? And some of us grew up in, uh, with a generation of parents who were like, don't do what I do, do what I say. And what did you do? What they did, right? You're just like, I don't care what you're saying like, uh, because you're a hypocrite and I'm just gonna emulate what you're doing. If we want our kids to actually grab hold of what it is to live right, we have to model that in front of them. It's teaching while Doing. So, the second thing I would suggest to unspoil your kids is this. Instead of having few rules that govern their behavior and schedules, show them how to be content and avoid comparison. And we do this by setting limits on our lives. And probably the best way to cultivate contentment in our lives is through a gratitude practice. And this is so important. I'm gonna spend almost all of next week talking about it and how to do it well. And so uh, if you wanna learn about that, you should come back. That's what I would say. In terms of comparison, um, I would suggest you do a couple things just to limit how they're able to compare themselves. Like one thing is that you can set limits on social media for yourself and your children, and you should because a constant stream of the best day and best purchase in everyone else's life is not healthy for you. It causes you to compare in ways that you can't keep up with, and it makes you miserable, and it does for them too. Man, all of the data right now that is coming out about specifically with teenage girls about what social media and being on social media and comparing themselves to other people does for their self-worth is devastating. It doesn't mean that they never need to be on, that they can have an account, but it means there has to be limits that are set. And there are ways you can do this within their phones, within apps, um, and there are ways you can set up this with, the, with them, and if you wanna know how to do that, my wife is an expert. She can hack into everybody's phone. It is amazing she's a little sleuth. Don't underestimate her. Another thing you could do in this is to mute commercials when they come on. I do this at our house uh, all the time. In fact, um, probably the only time I didn't do it was with the Super Bowl because we just like wanted to talk about it and Well, we were viewing it more as comedy sketches than than advertisements. But most of the time, I just mute the commercials. We watch Lakers games at our house a lot. I mute all the commercials because I don't want to be sold things. I don't want to be stirred up, and I don't want my kids constantly getting advertising messages all the time. Just teaching them, like, you can tune out when people are trying to sell you. You have that power. You don't have to just sit through it and just let it wash over you. You can shut that off. And one of the other things we do that I would suggest you do is just talking to your kids about uh, analyzing the advertisements that they're seeing. And you can do this by just this simple question. This is a great analytic tool as you're like watching a commercial or an ad or whatever of just like, what is it that they're trying to, to sell us and how are they trying to manipulate us into that purchase, Right, And it's interesting what, how much your kids can pick up on when they're starting to look for it. Like, oh, they're trying to tell you if you eat that greasy cheeseburger, hot girls will want you. I'm like, you think that's true? And they're like, I don't know. And I'm like, as someone who eats a lot of greasy cheeseburgers, <laughs> it's not true. It's a lie. Right, but if we don't recognize and, and, and teach our kids to analyze how they're being sold, if you drive that car, you'll be calmer. Is that really true? Like if you had this thing, you'd have a lot of friends. Is that really true? Right, we don't recognize the messages. When we can analyze what they are and where they're coming from, they lose their power. And we wanna disable that in our lives and in the lives of our kids. Another thing we'll do is like you know when somebody brings up um, what somebody else has that they wish they had, the great question to ask is, I wonder how they got it. I wonder if it was worth it. And I wonder what they have to do to maintain it. When you start thinking about that, suddenly things you thought you wanted, you don't want anymore. Oh, they, they worked every single summer nonstop and didn't do anything with their friends so they could afford to, like, I don't want to live that life. Yeah, maybe you don't want that thing. It's great, but because they have this now, they gotta take care of that and they can't do this or they're still paying for this so they don't have the opportunity to do that. That everything that people have came at a cost and is that cost something that you and your kids wanna pay? The third thing I would suggest is this to unspoil your kids. Instead of having little to no responsibilities, few chores around the house to show them how to take care of themselves and contribute to their community. The Apostle Paul wrote elsewhere in Thessalonians this, which I think is really interesting. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10 and 11, he says, While we were with you when we visited you, we gave you this command, those unwilling to work will not eat. Yet I hear some of you are living idle lives, refusing to work and meddling in others people's business. He really wants you to mind your own business. I just want to reiterate that. He really hates it when people are meddling. And basically, you know, what what he's saying here is this, like if you are consistently obsessing over what other people are doing or what other people should be doing, it's because you don't have enough to do. It's because you're wanting to critique what other people are doing and what they should be doing to avoid a character issue that you should be addressing that you don't want to. And Paul is saying like, don't do that. A, it doesn't work. Those people don't change because you griped them to it. And number two, the real thing that you can control, which is actually addressing the issues that God is bringing up in you to develop your character, those things go unchecked. And so how do we sort of cultivate uh, responsibility into our kids? One of the things I would suggest is give them chores. Um, your kids, by the time they get uh, you know, out of the house, they ought to be able to do everything that it takes to run a house. Cooking, cleaning, scrubbing toilets, vacuuming, all of the things. And I would also tell you, you don't need to pay them to do this. According to Paul, You've already paid them with food. (laughs) Like our, our kids know like this is your chore list, the things that we're gonna teach you how to do and then you have to do to contribute to this house. What do I get for this? You get to live in this house. You get to be a part of this family. You are welcome. Another thing I would suggest is require them to volunteer to serve other people somewhere twice a month. Because we learn how to be servant-hearted instead of entitled by serving. Um, It it doesn't happen accidentally. It doesn't happen from wishing it to happen. It happens from actually doing it in real time. Um, You know, some of you have probably seen our kids serving, um, and that's because they don't get a choice. We are like, you will serve at church. Uh, one of the services you're gonna serve and one of the ones you're gonna sit in and attend. This is what we do as a family. We prioritize contributing to our community for no pay. That's part of one of our values as a family. And I don't tell you the stuff that my wife and I do because we're the perfect parents. In fact, if you're wondering if that's true, just ask my kids. They'll tell you, they would love to tell you all the things they think we don't do right. I'm just telling you some things that have worked for us. Um, and most of them we stole from other people anyway. <laughs> and the, the, the third thing I would suggest under this section is to encourage them to get a part-time job. As soon as your kids are able to actually work outside of your house, it, it's healthy for them to do so. A, a lot of times, especially in our culture where we're so afraid they're not going to get into a good school, we think like if they're working that they're going to get poor grades. And you can Google this and look this up. That statistically is not true. Kids who work part-time jobs in high school and college tend to have better grades on average than kids who do not because it is instilling in them a certain type of work ethic that only work can instill. Sometimes we think like if our kids aren't working a job, they'll fill all that extra time with studying. But kids don't have two modes, studying and working. It probably isn't gonna take up their studying time to work. It's gonna take up their wasted time of which teenagers have a lot. I've seen them, it's true. Work builds character like nothing else. It teaches us to follow directions and manage a schedule and work with others and stick to something until it's done and it's done right. It's, it's healthy for kids to have to go somewhere else and report to someone they're not related to and be held to a standard. And there are certain things that your kids will not learn about the real world without having to go and have interactions with somebody else. And if they have a bad boss, it's even better (laughs) because you're going to coach them through how to deal with that and how to take ownership of their lives and stick up for what they need. And the fourth thing um, to unspoil our kids is this. Instead of giving them more stuff, more material possessions, show them how to prioritize building relationships over getting things. And one of the ways we do this is by prioritizing building relationships with our kids instead of just getting them things. Giving our kids our time and attention and affirmation because kids learn the importance of relationships by watching you in relationships and by experiencing you relating to them. Uh, one uh, financial advisor says this that I think is really interesting. He has something called the Dewey's Rule. And uh, it's essentially this. He says, like, in everything that you get your kids uh, to cultivate not being obsessed with and materialistic about things is to aim to get them things that put them in the 30th percentile, which means if, like, like 10 of their friends have cars, they have the seventh best one. And the reason he says to do this is because it teaches kids that like there's always in life, there's always gonna be people that are way far ahead of them and there's always gonna be people that are behind them in terms of what they have or what they can afford. And it also teaches them that just because you can afford something doesn't mean it's wise to have it. It teaches them to appreciate something that isn't the best, but to treat it like it is still valuable. And it also teaches them that they can have incredible relationships without having the best stuff which is an incredible thing for kids to learn, which is why my kids keep asking, why do we have the seventh best of everything? It's Dewey's rule. <laughs> Maybe you're thinking as you hear all four of these things, like, that's a lot. I don't know if I can do all that. And I'll just confess something to you. Uh, we can't, my wife and I, we can't do all these things perfect all the time. It's impossible, it's too much. Because to truly battle materialism in yourself and your family, you need a community around you who value what you do, helping you struggle forward. And to actually put as a priority what is absolutely essential. The writer of Hebrews puts it this way. He says, let us hold tightly to the hope we affirm that God can be trusted. In other words, trusted to take care of us, trusted to be who he says he's gonna be, trusted to meet our needs, trusted to fulfill us. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works and not neglect meeting together, but encourage one another, especially now. What does that mean, especially now? Because as history progresses, it's harder and harder and harder to live simply, to live without uh, being spoiled, to live without being materialistic, especially now because it's harder than it used to be, which means we need other people that are helping us to be who we wanna be and help us to raise our kids to be who they need to be. This is part of the reason why we encourage you to get in groups, to be a part of Rooted, to bring your kids to SHS on Wednesday nights. Right to, uh, like, Because we all need to be around people who are like stumbling towards the values that we aspire to because the rest of the world is giving us a different message. And if we're not actively pushing against it, we will conform to it. So here's how I would summarize this whole message. like If you were just gonna distill this down to one principle, it would be this, to spend time with people who reinforce your values and set limits on whatever causes you to compromise. And this is something that if I were you, I would hand to your kids and something that I would apply in your own life. Who is it that is actually modeling what you want to do in your life? Who's parenting like you want to parent? Who is managing their money like you want to manage your money? Who is... Content in a way that you want to be content? Who is hardworking in the way that you wish you worked hard? Who is wise in the way you want to be wise? Spend time with those people. There are certain people and families that like I'm always trying to get my family and my kids around because I know that they will rub off on us and there are things that they do there are things that are a part of who they are that I want to be a part of who we are and I know it's more likely if we spend time with them this is why I think coming to church is so valuable and building relationships with your faith community because you begin to become like these people and then you've got to set limits on the things that are causing you to wanna compromise what you truly value, what you truly care about, what is really important to you. And if those things are all materialistic things, it's time to set limits, it's time to get a new circle. But I wonder what would happen for you and your family if you had the courage to just exit the treadmill of comparison, to determine who you wanna be, to decide like I, the goal of my life is not just to grind it out and go into debt to give all the little princesses in my orbit everything they could ever want. That in fact, a more noble aim would be to focus on relationally raising kids with character who prioritize connections with people and realize that's where the juice comes from. And I wanna just pray this into your life today because not only is it gonna take a community supporting you, but it's gonna take God's help for you to be able to overpower what your natural tendencies are, what your culture tells you to do and to point it in a different direction. And I wanna pray that into your life today. Would you just bow your heads around this room? God, thank you for all the ways that you have blessed us, that you have invested in us that you have changed and transformed our lives. God, we are really blessed. We don't consider ourselves rich, but if we're just looking about like do we have the essentials? God, you've more than taken care of that. And God, I pray that we wouldn't be people who are convinced that just getting and having more stuff is going to make our lives better and more fulfilled and make us happier, but realizing that really what matters is building a solid relationship with you and and the people around us, being people of character who prioritize your words and your way above everything else. God, I pray that you would give us the courage to exit the treadmill of comparison and, God, that you would put us on a path to raise ourselves and our kids to be the opposite of spoiled. God, we know that with your help, we can do what it takes. As we link arms with each other, we can become a community that lives content in the here and now, that cares for one another, and that experiences fulfillment and true peace. And the result, may the result of that be those who are not even believers, respect who we are and what we believe because of the life that we have been able to live. So in Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. We hope you heard something that spoke directly to where you're at right now in life. To find out more about our church, hit up our website, southhills.org corona, or follow us on social media at South Hills Corona. And if our messages have made a difference in your life, help us get the word out by rating and reviewing this podcast. And as always, you can support the ongoing work of our church by giving through our website at southhills.org slash give and selecting the Corona Campus. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next week. God bless.